our fifth episode of Lost in the Woods. Yep. Yep. We're still in quarantine, like a lot of the world, I think, or parts of it anyway. But did you know, Madison just brought me a Starbucks, did you know that Starbucks is still essential in our town? (laughs) It is still an essential part of society. So are coffee stands. They've closed down everything except for grocery stores, basically, and Starbucks, because they're essential. Yeah. So, um, I'd like to complain, but I'm sitting here drinking Starbucks, so I can't. But if you hear any loud, like, straw noises, it's Madison. She's really loud with her drink. I'm it's sorry. It's so good. How can I I apologize now. She's drinking some giant purple... This is pink. Pink. It looks purple to me. She's drinking, like, a very large, unhealthy-looking drink. Oh, it is. <laughs> oh, don't worry. I was like... Mm. There's nothing good in it, guys. Nothing good at all. Uh, uh, but yeah, ice in it, which is water, which is good. Oh, there you go. The ice. We're bringing out the ice for the only healthy thing in her. Mine's really not that much better. It's a quad espresso over ice, but still not healthy. Well, but it's got to be better than what you're drinking. Probably. <laughs> yeah. Also, thanks for listening, guys. Yeah, seriously. So we're super excited. We've had over 850 downloads. We are in 18 countries and 35 states in the U.S. Yeah, not states in Washington. Yeah, yeah. By the way, thanks, Levi, for calling me out on that last week. So I posted in our story and I said that we had states in Washington instead of in the U.S., and he thought that Madison made the mistake, so he was, I, you know, making fun of her. I assume he was trying to make fun of me. Right. Well, of course he was. Um, and then she was like, ha ha, that was actually my mom. So, uh, yeah, that was me, not Maddie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not making the mistakes this time. <laughs> yeah, so thanks for listening, guys. And thanks to everyone that's left a review for us on um, our Apple podcast, right? I don't know which one it is. I think it's called Apple Podcasts, but thanks for leaving reviews. We love them. We read them. And thank you to everybody who shared us in their story. Yeah, seriously, thank you. Yeah, I mean, anytime you guys share us in your story, as long as you tag us, we will share it back. We really appreciate you guys getting the word out. Okay, so today we're going to be talking about the Yuba City 5 crew. Some of you might have heard of this one. It's kind of an older case. Yeah. It's a pretty well-known case. Yeah, I think it's such a bizarre mystery that I think a a lot of people have reported on it over the years. I mean, it took place in 1978, and still we had both heard of this case before we started researching it. It's because it's so weird. So weird. It's so so bizarre. Yeah, it's really a trippy case. We kind of... Did a lot of digging and fell into a lot of rabbit holes and God, there were so many, rabbit so holes. many, and we tried to verify our information really well. There like, were there was a lot of information we could exclude based on official reports and things like that. So 
yeah, we hope you guys like it. But here we go. So Yuba City was, that Yuba City's the town, by the way. That's yes. what it's called. It's kind of a weird name for a town. Yuba? I don't know. So Yuba City was home to the Gateway Project, which is a vocational rehabilitation group that aimed to help and support people with disabilities. Among the patrons of the Gateway Project were five young men. They played on the basketball team, the Gateway Gator. So our story is going to be about these five young men who were part of the Gateway Gators. Their names were Jack, Jackie, Theodore, William, and Gary. The first member of the group we're going to be talking about today is Jack... What is it? Uh, uh, Madruga? Maybe? Jack Madruga. Yep, that sounds right. Okay. Sounds right in my head. We're only going to say their last names once after that. We're just dropping two first names, and we're probably going to abbreviate those as well. Yes. So... Okay, Jack Madruga, the first member of the group we're going to talk about today, was 30 years old. He was a high school graduate. He served in the Army. His car was his pride and joy. Pride and joy. He loved his car. He took really good care of it. Everybody that knew him said that his car was his baby. He was also had been fired from a dishwashing job because he struggled with the new equipment. He was also really close friends with William, Bill, another member of the group. Mm -hmm. But while he had no official diagnosis, his family believed that he had a mild learning disability. Right. The second member of our group is Jackie Hewitt. He was best friends with Ted, and he was also the youngest of the group, Ted or Theodore. He had been diagnosed with mild learning disabilities. He couldn't read or write, and he was very dependent on others, especially his mom. Some reports said that he even struggled to use the phone. So day-to-day challenges were were kind of difficult for him. Okay, mm. Theodore Weger, 32. He was known as Ted to his friends. He was positive and outgoing, and he was closest with Jackie. And sometimes he would call to read funny names out of the phone book. To Jackie? Yeah. <laughs> That's so cute. And he overall had a love of reading He had lots of trouble following basic instructions. He worked for a snack shop and sometimes got stressed out, and his family attributed this to his learning disability. Yeah, I actually read somewhere, too, that his family had actually encouraged him to quit because he was so stressed out dealing with this job, which makes me really sad. Yeah. Especially, like, thinking about him coming home from his job and being stressed out and calling his friend to read funny names out of the phone book. It makes me very sad. So our next young man in the story is William Sterling. He was 29. He was known as Bill to his friends. He was deeply religious and enjoyed reading the Bible. He also spent time reading scripture to people in psychiatric hospitals, uh, partly we think because he had spent time there as a child. He worked as a dishwasher on an Air Force base, but they found out he was being taken advantage of, like people were getting him drunk and taking his money and things like that, which is so, makes me so mad. He was really close to Jack, and he was also diagnosed with mild developmental disabilities. Yeah, so like, these four boys, they were very sweet, innocent, like, pretty Yeah, which is why I think we refer to them as boys, yeah. But... Obviously, they were all in for the good. Like, they... And these four boys had known each other for a long time. Yes. They had been friends or in the same group or in the same area, same town. They're actually spread out amongst three different towns, but are relatively close to each other. Now... And our last member... 
Gary Matthews, 25, was a U.S. veteran and had been discharged from the Army due to psychiatric reasons. Mm -hmm. He was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia and struggled with drug abuse quite a bit. He actually got himself kicked out of the Army (laughs) by punching two officers. While naked, you guys. Why? 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 Why, Gary? You know why? I feel like we say why, Gary, a lot in this show. (laughs) We got another Gary, you guys. Sorry, Gary's out there. We love you. But he said that this would be the fastest way to get himself discharged from the army. Which which is probably true. I I mean, I I think that's true. True story, Gary. It worked. But he also had many other issues once he got out of the army. Yeah, for sure. Quite a thick criminal record there. Mm Mm-hmm. And he also wore thick glasses because he had very poor eyesight. Yeah, they were, like, really dramatic, like, big, thick, black glasses, which I'm not sure how he was in the army with that condition. I I, I know now you have to have better eyesight, I think. I don't know. I mean, maybe back then it, it was different. I'm not really sure. Maybe. Maybe they didn't even give you an eye test. I mean, who knows? But, yeah, so maybe somebody can tell us about that. Actually, we know another Gary who knows a little bit about the Navy. Maybe he could give us some information on that. (laughs) Sorry, Gary. Gary. So it isn't really clear how Gary fit into this group since he had issues that were different from the rest of the boys. Which, it could be that he went to the Gateway Project to get support or help for something and just kind of got, like, swept into this established group of friends because he was more self-sufficient. He was able to... You know, only two of these five men even had a driver's license, and he was one of them. Yeah. So it could be that he kind of took them on as, like, to take care of them or to help them or... I'm not sure. We're, we're not really sure. Um, his issues don't quite fit in with the rest of the boys, but we, we don't... Who knows? But yeah, we don't know if that means anything or not. You think the kids are still alive? Well, I don't now. <laughs> We've been in here for a while. Uh, I'll be right back. I'm back. I just checked on the kids. They have all of the umbrellas open in the front yard. They're all going to fly away. It's windy as hell. What are they doing? (laughs) I don't know. We don't... We have umbrellas, you guys, but we don't really use them, so they've just been sitting in the garage, so I guess it doesn't really matter. We live in Washington. We don't use umbrellas. Yeah, we just all get rained on, you guys. We don't actually use our umbrellas. When you see a movie from Seattle and you see them with umbrellas, it's wrong. Yeah, it's not very realistic. Okay. So, whilst all five men had been attending the vocational rehab and lived at their home with their parents, they were all considered high-functioning and seemed to have been coping very well with their various developmental disabilities and mental health difficulties. Both Jack and Gary had driver's licenses, They played basketball for the project team and had a level of independence away from the care of their family. On February 24th, 1978, Jack, Jackie, Bill, Ted, and Gary, Gary, good job, set out to a California State University basketball game. It was about 55 miles from their house, and they drove in Jack's car. Okay, the car that he loved. Yes, the car that he loved so Mm. very much. On the way out the door, Ted's grandmother actually insisted that Ted take a coat, and he assured her that he would not need one tonight because they were going to be inside for the basketball game. No. After the game, around 10 p.m., they stopped at a small local store called Bear's Market to buy some snacks. 
The clerk was trying to close up, but she was super nice and decided to let them in anyway to get their snacks for their road trip back. They bought one Hostess cherry pie, one lemon pie, a Snickers bar, a marathon bar, two Pepsis, and a quart and a half of milk. The milk we think is weird. And I kind of thought a Snickers bar and a marathon bar were the same thing. I don't know. I don't know either. I don't know. Okay. But yeah, maybe they needed milk for their pie. Bet you that's exactly what it is. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's kind of sweet if that's why they bought the milk was Bet because they were getting like pie. If you can call those pies. I don't know. That's, I bet you that's exactly what it was. Yep. And then they got back in their car and headed south, which is the direction of home. Yes. At 8 a.m. the following morning on February 25th, Ted's mom awoke to find her son's bed empty and unslept in. Okay, by the way, guys, this is like one of my worst nightmares. And I've actually gone into Madison's room in the morning and her bed, it's not made because she never actually makes her bed. But like, I can tell she wasn't there. And I'm like, Madison, where are you? Madison? What the heck? And I start like calling her and texting her and she's like, oh, I fell asleep. Sorry. Yeah, it's a pretty common I'm just at Brina's. Sorry. It's usually what happens. (laughs) Fall asleep. But it's panicking, right? Like, you open the door to your child's bedroom where they're supposed to be, and they're just not there. And you can tell that they didn't sleep in their bed. Don't like that. Do not like that. I do not like that. She called Bill's mom, who confirmed that her son had also not returned home. They called the rest of the families and confirmed that none of the boys had returned home. Ugh. So this was cause for great concern for the families because the boys had that Saturday morning, they had their own tournament basketball game for their team. And it's something they'd all been looking forward to. They were super excited about this game, you guys. It was an important tournament and the winner would get a trip to Disneyland. So they were, they were psyched for this game. The boys were really like, they were really excited for this. Like they wouldn't have missed it at all. Yeah. And that, I think that's what caused the immediate alarm of, all of the parents is they knew that their kids would not have intentionally missed this basketball game. Gary had even been reminding his mom all week to make sure that he didn't sleep in for it. So by 8 p.m. the families decided to report their sons missing. Jack's mom called to file a report. So the police made inquiries and on February 28th they discovered Jack's car. So this is the 28th, what, four days after they go missing? Yeah. Uh, So their families are just like four days trying to figure out what happened to their sons. I cannot even imagine. The car was abandoned 70 miles east of Chico, where the basketball game was, and northeast of Yuba City, some distance away from their home route. Right. So it wasn't just along the route that they would have taken. The car was off course. They had diverted quite a ways from the road that they were supposed to be traveling on. And we'll post a picture of this that shows where they live, where the game was, where the car was found. But it's quite a bit. Yeah. It's quite a bit, which is why it probably took them so long to find. It's not where it belongs. No, no, they should not have been. There were, there's no good reason for the boys to have been up there. Right. No good reason. So it was parked up a bumpy mountain road that wound up through uh, Sierra County mountain range. It was parked by the roadside on a snow line. So when they say on a snow line, like it's the car's technically in the snow, but it's not like stuck in the snow, but it's on snow where it's been abandoned because they drove up quite a ways 
on this mountain road. Around the car was several inches of new snow that had fallen in the last few days. Yeah. Okay. The doors were unlocked and one window was rolled down and the boys were nowhere to be found. And remind you that, yes, it is snowing. So it's, the yeah, windows it's cold, it's down. snowing. Why the windows roll down. And why Jack would let the window be down on his prize car if they're going to walk away from it, right? In this weather, in this condition. They also found the wrappers from their trip to the store and a half-eaten candy bar on the back seat was all that was left. They also found maps left behind in the glove box and one of them was for the area that the boys were in. But I'm not sure that's really relevant, honestly. I mean, we'll talk about that a little more later, but I'm not sure that these boys would be like, oh, we should probably check for a map if we're lost, if they were lost. I mean, we don't know. Yeah. But I, I don't see that as being super relevant. But a lot of people make a big deal about that, about the maps being in the glove box. So the keys were gone, and one theory is that the car broke down and ran, or ran out of gas. The police hotwired the car, and it started right away without any issues. And there was also a quarter tank of gas still in the car. So those are off the table. But right. So they thought maybe they ran out of gas. Maybe the car malfunctioned and they were able to prove that neither of those two things happened. And the car even drove easily off the road and didn't appear to be stuck. Even with those few inches of snow that are new. Right. So they basically find the car that has been pulled off to the side of the road a little bit and left a perfectly good running car. It just doesn't make sense. So the road had a lot of potholes, and yet the undercarriage of the vehicle was also undamaged, indicating that someone had driven very carefully up the road. So they said that on this particular road, you would have had to drive very slowly to not do damage to this already kind of lower riding vehicle, which yeah. fits with Jack driving his car. He would, be, would have been very careful to not damage it. But why is he going up the mountain road? Why are they on the mountain road? So it appeared as though they had simply abandoned the car and wandered into the night, ill-dressed for the cold, snowy mountains. Because they're up in the mountains now. Yep. They're up in the mountains, you guys. They're not on level ground. They're, like, up in the mountains, and they're just walking away from the only warmth safety source that they have, which is the vehicle. Why? We don't know. The police attempted early searches, but the weather severely hampered their efforts. After only a few days, they were forced to call them off. Ugh. Which is hard, because now the family's like, okay, we know where the car is, we want to find our boys, but the weather's so bad now, they no, can't they even can't. go search for them. Very unfortunate. After a week of the boys being missing, the police put out a request for information and tips began to come in. I wonder why they waited a week. That, doesn't that seem strange? I wonder if the police thought that they the boys just kind of took off and then when they found their car four days later and they were like, oh, shoot, maybe something did happen. Yeah, I don't know. Okay, so here's one thing. After the call for information, witness a witness did come forward. His name was Joseph Jones. He's 55 and he had been visiting his cabin on the 24th, so the day that the boys went missing. Mm-hmm. He was preparing for a visit the following week with his family, and he had headed up to his cabin to check the snow line. On his way back down the road at 5.30 p.m., his car, which was a Volkswagen Beetle, became stuck in a rut of the road. So, like, the potholes or the ruts are so big on this road that his vehicle actually got stuck on it, which is another reason why it's crazy that the boys' car 
had no damage on it. Yeah. Yeah. I remember driving on that mountain road real sketchy up by the pass. Mm-hmm. When I was driving. We've driven on some really sketchy mountain and roads. And I had to go over those things. Yeah. Oh, my God. I definitely thought your big car the, was going to bottom out. I don't actually want to see what the undercarriage of my car looks like because the side of my car is covered in scratches from driving on trail roads, so I can't imagine what the bottom of my car looks like. I don't want to know. I've literally bumped the bottom of your car so many times driving on mountain roads. Yeah, it's got to be bad. My my car's going to have zero resale value when I finally get rid of it, you guys. So while he was attempting to get his car out, Joseph, he claims that he had uh, a heart attack. So he climbed into his car to lay down, with his car on and the heater running. Then things get a little weird. This is where things get a little weird. I I honestly, I don't know what to think about this whole situation, but so I'll try to keep it straight for you guys. So around 11.30 p.m., he saw headlights on the road below his car, so coming up the road below him. In one account given, he told the Los Angeles Times that he saw two sets of headlights 20 feet behind his car, one from a car and one from a pickup truck. He attempted to shout for help, but the headlights went out. And the group of people standing at the two cars left back down the road together in the pickup truck. Hmm. In another account given to the Washington Post, Shones does not mention a second vehicle at all, but speaks of one set of headlights and a group of men and bizarrely a woman with a baby. Remind you, it's cold. It's winter, it's snowing. Right, but he also gives two very different accounts to two different people. And in one of them, there's a mystery truck. And in the other, there's a woman with a baby. And only one vehicle. Makes sense. So so I'm kind of confused by that. But regardless, in both accounts, the end situation is the same. With the lights going out after he calls for help, Jones later admitted that he was unsure of what he had seen because he was suffering severe pain and was in a loose state of consciousness at the time. So maybe that explains some of the discrepancy, but I do think that this witness account really sent the police kind of spiraling on some really strange accounts. And his account about the truck, the pickup truck, I think, came out after somebody else reported a pickup truck. Later that night, around 1.30 a.m., Shones goes on to say that he had seen flashlights outside his car and a whistling sound, and... Again, he called for help, but upon hearing his cries, the flashlights extinguished and the group of people vanished. Yeah, so this is one thing that the families all say. If the boys had heard somebody calling for help, they would have helped them. Like, there's no way that they would have ignored this man calling for help. So we're not sure if that means that the group didn't hear him or if it wasn't the boys or if it never happened in the first place. I mean, we really don't know. Eventually, Shone's car ran out of gas from running idle all night, so he stumbled from the vehicle and walked eight miles to the cabin where he was able to find help and was taken to the hospital and recovered. As he left his car around 20 yards down the road, he walked straight past a 1969 turquoise mm-hmm. and white Mercury Montego. 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 So, we're still not sure about this man's statement or accounts. I I struggle a lot with witness statements when they're not consistent. So later a store clerk named Mary from Mary's Country Store in Bronzeville, which is about 30 miles southeast of where the car had been found, she came forward saying that she had seen the boys. 
around 2 p.m. on Saturday the 25th, so the day after they went missing. She claimed that Jack and Bill were using a phone in the store while the other boys sat in a red pickup truck outside. Okay. Hmm. The story was corroborated by her boss, and the police thought that she was a credible witness. The families of the boys had a problem with this account. However, for one thing, Jack would not have been using the phone, because this was something that he struggled with. Yeah, I kind of have a problem with this account as well. Just a little bit. Yeah, and as police got more and more desperate, they actually called in a psychic. Yeah, did you guys know they do that sometimes? Uh, I know that families... This was the 70s. This was the 70s. Yeah, I know that families a lot of times will get psychics involved, but this is the first time I've actually read of a police department contacting a psychic. Yeah. Yeah, crazy. Strange, isn't it? Mm Mm-hmm. This led to a house that did not exist and a kidnapping scheme that went nowhere. Yeah. Okay, so one theory that did come up was about Gary having friends in Forbestown, which was east of Yuba City. The police initially speculated that it could have been foreseeable that the men had decided to visit Gary's friends and gotten lost. (laughs) You guys are funny. We're just sitting here, and out of the corner of my eye, I see, like, a large figure come into the door. Which, I didn't see what was happening behind me, but I saw Madison's face, so that's what scared the crap out of me. So, that was my 14-year-old and my 4-year-old sneaking around to the back door and scaring the bejesus out of us. Yep. Yep. It's, It's hard talking about, like disappearance and craziness and then people are like banging on the window anyway the police initially speculated that it could have been feasible that the men had decided to go visit gary's friends and gotten lost turning up the mountain pass and becoming panicked however the families of the men hotly debate this theory so they state that the boys would absolutely not have done so with the big basketball game for the gateway gators coming up the following day um which yeah, they had to get up early. In the they morning. had to get up early. Uh, that's not to say that Gary couldn't have talked them into this, but I don't know. Okay, so this theory was determined unlikely after speaking to Gary's friend because they hadn't talked or seen each other in years. Right, and he's probably not going to surprise drop by to see them at especially with eleven the, o'clock at night or whatever time it was that they started heading back. Yeah, and especially with like people that his friend doesn't even know, and four of them at that. Yeah, yeah, that's not gonna happen. I agree. But Bill and Ted's family also insisted that the boys would have never ventured off willingly into the woods because they didn't they didn't like the outdoors. It wasn't something they liked, or they would have done. Right. Their perspective is that their children would have stayed with the car at all costs, basically. That they would not have gone out into the woods without someone or something. Hmm. So as time went on in this case, foul play seemed like a greater probability. It's hard to lose five people, but lost they were, and it remained that way for another four months until one weekend in early June. On Saturday, June 4th, some bikers were out riding their motorcycles when they came upon an abandoned forest trailer park called Daniel Zink Compounds. Mm -hmm. They were greeted by a grotesque smell. While investigating the smell, they came across a cabin with broken windows and lying inside on a bunk bed was a man obviously deceased. The man was wrapped in eight layers of blankets, 
On the bedside next to him was a ring, a necklace, a wallet, and a gold watch. Uh, I don't like where this is going, you guys. So the body they found belonged to Teddy, and all the items on the table belonged to him as well, with the exception of the gold watch. Now, this gold watch has actually never been identified as belonging to any of the boys or the owner of the cabin. So this gold watch is kind of a mystery. It seemed to have been placed there at the same time as the rest of the items, but yet didn't belong to anybody there or didn't belong to anybody in the group. Super weird. Or nobody could identify it. He wore no shoes and his feet were badly frostbitten. His shoes were nowhere in the cabin and still have never been found. Where's your shoes at, honey? Why did you take your shoes off? There were dozens of empty cans of sea rations on the floor and some that had been opened with an army-issued tin opener. So sea rations is something that's actually issued by the military. So a sea ration or a type C ration is prepared or canned wet combat rations intended to be issued to the U.S. military land forces when fresh food, which they call an A ration, by the way, or packaged food unprepared, B ration, which is prepared in mess halls or field kitchens, was not possible or not available. And when a survival ration, like a K ration or a D ration, was not sufficient to what they needed. Police estimated that with his weight loss and hair growth that he'd survived up to 13 weeks. Oh my god, I can't. 13 weeks? No, I'm so not okay with that. This makes me so uncomfortable. 13 weeks in this cabin, you guys. So while everybody's out searching for them, he's been stranded in this cabin. Starving. Oh, I literally can't. He had lost 80 to 100 pounds, and he had lost five toes to frostbite, and had blood poisoning. He also had gangrene on his lower legs. Yeah, so frostbite's really painful, you guys. None of this is fun. Like, he would have been in a lot of pain, he would have been starving to death, and appears to be completely alone. It appears that he had gained access to the cabin through a broken window. So, this just led to even more questions, right? The trailer park was almost 30 miles uphill from the abandoned car. There were matches and lots of flammable material in the cabin, and yet no fire was attempted. There was a full propane tank, yet the gas had not been switched on. All they had to do, or all he had to do to stay warm, was switch on the gas. Uh. So I don't know how strange this is, right? So if they struggled with normal day-to-day things, maybe he just didn't realize he could turn on the gas. Maybe he didn't know how to turn on the gas. Yeah, well, this is, it's also Teddy that they found, and he did have, he had a lot of trouble with basic instructions. Yeah, so, I mean, I don't know how crazy that is. I just, it just breaks my heart that he had the ability to be warm, and he didn't use it. The rations also posed even more questions. Right. They were taken from a storage shed on the park's grounds. However, in the same shed was an unlocked locker full of rations with food with enough stock to have fed a group of people for over a year. So this really bothers me, but also I'm not super surprised by it. So the food that he did find, which wasn't enough to keep him alive, right? He lost almost 100 pounds. The food that he did find in that same shed was also a locker full of more food. 
But it was separate from the food that he did use. And maybe he didn't notice it or realize that it was unlocked. I mean, maybe it was a struggle for him to even get the food that he did get because he couldn't freaking walk. Yeah. Right? I mean... That's for sure a possibility. Maybe he just kept thinking, somebody's going to come for me. Maybe he kept thinking, if I just stay here and try to stay warm, like, somebody's going to come for me. Maybe he didn't realize the, how dire his situation actually was. So I sad. I don't know. It's so sad. So, even with all this food, none of it was touched. He simply, had he simply not noticed the food in the locker, we don't know. His family did confess that one time... Their house had caught on fire and his brother had had to drag him out of the house because he wanted to go back to sleep so he could be well rested for the next day. That kind of implies like a lack of sound judgment. Yeah, so it's kind of debated whether or not he just didn't know the food or the propane tank were there or if he actually couldn't figure it out. Yeah. Uh, But I mean, he, he did go into this shed and he did grab... The food that was visible, he just didn't get into the locker that was also in there that had more food in it. The propane situation could have just been too confusing for him to figure out. I mean, a lot of propane, you have to ignite it, you have to prime it, you have to do something to it. It's not as simple as, like, turning a switch on. Yeah. And that's assuming that he would even know what that was. I mean, unless they heated their own house that way, which it doesn't sound like they did, he might not have even realized that that's what that was for. Another strange thing is that Gary's shoes were found in the cabin, although there were no other signs to indicate that he had been there. But his shoes were there. And remember, Teddy's shoes are missing. So did he have Gary's shoes on for some reason? Had they swapped shoes? Gary's feet were a couple sizes bigger than Teddy's, so Teddy's shoes wouldn't have fit Gary. They would have been many sizes smaller, Although I did read somewhere that Teddy had more sturdy shoes on, where Gary had tennis shoes on. So I really don't know. It's such a mystery. Two days later, skeletal remains were found about four and a half miles away by the roadside. They had been scattered by animals, but were quickly identified as Jack and Bill's. Which is really sad. If you remember, Jack and Bill were really good friends, so they were found together. Yeah. About four and a half miles short of the cabin so they had not made it to the cabin two days after that the remains of jackie were found two miles from the trailer by his own father who had joined the search teams so his dad found his remains Ugh, you guys his bones were initially identified by his levi jeans and his shoes but the following day they did find his skull and it was positively identified by his dental records Searchers did find three Wolf Forest service blankets and a rusted flashlight about a quarter of a mile northwest of the trailer. This was unclear whether or not they had anything to do with the group of men or not. Right. Like, were they part of the initial searches? I don't know. Who did they belong to? I I, I couldn't find any information on whether or not the cabin had any forest service supplies in it. Well, I mean, it doesn't. Had... It wasn't a Forest Service cabin. I mean, it, it belonged to somebody. So, where did these things come from? We don't know. It's very strange, though. Uh, despite extensive searches, no sign of Gary has ever been found. Jesus. Ever. So one thing that 
that everybody finds very strange is the whole shoe thing, right? So why are people taking clothes off? Why? Why is well, this a theme in our episode? And they're wondering, like, did Gary make it to the cabin at some point, and then did he go for help? Did he take Teddy's shoes because Teddy's shoes were more sturdy than his and Teddy could no longer walk? Did Teddy take Gary's shoes before he even made it to the cabin? Did Gary not even make it to the cabin? And did he take his shoes because they were bigger and his feet were swollen from the frostbite? Because frostbite will make your feet swell and maybe he just couldn't put his shoes on anymore. I mean, I don't know. It's so strange to me. It's bizarre. It's so bizarre. Descriptions of Gary went out to hospitals and mental facilities, but nothing was ever found. And if he was still alive, he had been missing for more than four months without any money and without his medication for schizophrenia. Which would be no good. That would be no no good. So for, what, two years he'd been controlling his schizophrenia, but his family really contributes that to him constantly taking medication and being off drugs and all of that. So it, it wouldn't take long of him being off his meds for... Him to go AWOL. Yeah, I mean, for, for things to go downhill really fast. Not AWOL. AWOL's not the right word. Yeah, I know what you mean. For things to go crazy. Yeah. So is he out there somewhere? Is he lost? Is he dead on the mountain that claimed the lives of his friends? While four families now have received a measure of closure, Gary's family has received none. All of the families still have no idea what happened that night, but Gary's family doesn't even know where Gary is. Yeah, true. I mean, that would be so, so difficult. And then there's also the theories out there that Gary had something to do with the boys going missing or disappearance or whatever. So his family also has to live with that. I mean, if he's innocent in this and also a victim, now he's got people accusing or they've got people accusing their son of being involved in it. When he could be an innocent participant. True. That would be really difficult. Or it could be all his fault. And he could have been up his... I don't know. I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? I don't know. What circumstances could have led them to fleeing the safety of the car? They were parked 5,000 feet up a mountain, 70 miles east of their last known location, and at least 30 miles from anywhere they had planned to be. Yeah, so you'll see it on the map too. Like, they had to really deviate off of their route in order to get to this road, And then once they had deviated for some time, then they had to turn up this road in completely the wrong direction. So it's very confusing. Some theories out there. We'll get into some theories. So one theory is that they made a wrong turn and went up this road and didn't want to turn back for some reason. I find this one kind of hard to believe. I mean, there's five of them in the car Gary is very high-functioning. I feel like if they did get lost, he could have helped them find their way out of that situation. Yeah. Right? I mean, I don't know. Um, It is really common in missing person cases, though, for people to press forward instead of turning back. Right? So they're blinded by the false hope that they're going the right way and that their salvation is just around the corner. Right? And doubling back over terrain that they've already conquered just seems unfathomable, right? Like they, they push forward even when they should turn back. So like if these boys had maybe Jack refused to take his car further up this road and they were looking for help, they were looking for a place to get warm, they were 
who knows? I mean, I don't even know. But maybe the further they went, the more impossible it seemed for them to turn back, even though the warm car was the other direction. And they all got separated at some point, too. I know. They so... literally all just dropped. However, the police are skeptical of this theory. They maintain that this is not a road that you would accidentally end up by simply taking the wrong turn. Right, so it's kind of out of the way. It's not just, oh, we went the wrong way. Like, it's pretty far off the path that they should have been on. The families also believe this theory to be unlikely. Yep, I agree. Uh, Jack's mother, Mabel, actually said uh, there was some force that made them go up there. They would not have fled off into the woods like a bunch of quail. I like that saying. It's a good one. We know good and well that somebody made them do it. She also does not believe that her son would abandon his car unlocked with the window rolled down. They had a big problem with this. He loved his car. Yeah. But if if somebody forced them out of the vehicle and forced them to hike, what, 20 miles? I mean, I, I don't know. Where's that person? If Gary had done it, where is he now? Like, if he had forced them out of the car for whatever reason... Or if a stranger had done it, to what point? Where are they? So if their car wasn't out of gas, wasn't broken down, wasn't stuck, why'd they leave the car? Yeah, it was warm in the car. Why would they leave the warmth of the car? Yeah, it was really cold, you guys. It was cold out. What had really been seen or heard by Joseph Shones is something that continues to be a question in this case. The men in the pickup truck, the woman with the baby, Right? So maybe that's a possibility. Maybe there was a man, a woman, and a baby in this pickup truck who somehow talked these boys into helping them or going somewhere with them or doing something. Yeah, like maybe they asked for help because like the parents said. Right. But did they take them off the mountain for them to be spotted at the store the next day and then drive them back up the mountain? Where they then wandered into the woods or were they dropped off at this cabin? Like, to me, it just doesn't make sense that they left the mountain and then went back. Yeah, I have trouble believing that. Furthermore, why would the group trek 20 miles uphill to the trailer park and then not light a fire or eat the food, but just lay there and die? There's no real proof that the group even made it there. It sounds like one, maybe two, if Gary... I mean... I don't know. So if all the men had made it to the cabin, why did three of them just wander into the into the woods to perish? Right. If they even made it. If they even made it. And how did only one of them make it to the cabin if the rest of them never made it? Right. Or did they all make it to the cabin and then three of them tried to go back to the car because they were freezing to death and died on the way back? And why didn't they make a fire and why didn't they eat I know. food? I like... know. It's so confusing. But... The biggest question I probably have is, where the hell is Gary Matthews? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. His shoes were the only evidence that he was even with the group at this point. So either they took his shoes and dumped him somewhere, or he was with them at some point, right? Who knows? I mean, I feel like it makes the most sense that Gary Matthews was with this group of men. That he left the car for whatever reason with this group of boys and has disappeared. He's vanished now. Vanished in thin air. It just doesn't make sense. So at the time of his disappearance, he was wearing a beige t-shirt with gateway gaiters across the chest. 
He was white, he had brown hair, hazel eyes. He wore those big rimmed glasses that we mentioned. Um, he would have double vision without them. He also has a small birthmark on the right side of his chin. And we'll post a picture of him and the other boys if we can find it. I know I've seen a picture of Gary Matthews, but we'll see if we can find a picture of all the boys. Okay. Matthews had schizophrenia and took at least four medications on a weekly basis to control his mental illness. He's high-functioning, but when placed in a st- stressful situation, his functioning deteriorates. Mm-hmm. Matthews had a history of drug abuse, violent behavior, and caution was advised when approaching him. So, a couple things. So, he had been known to abuse drugs in the past. We kind of talked about that. He had also been arrested and jailed multiple times for various offenses, including violent attacks on both men and women. He was hospitalized multiple times and had a history of escape. Once, in 1974, he escaped from a state mental hospital in his pajamas and walked and hitchhiked almost 100 miles home. Another time, he walked from Portland, Oregon, to Marysville, California, a distance of 540 miles. That's a long ways to walk. Well, but so that also, I mean, that also tells you, like, he was capable of walking long distances when he was not on his meds and not controlling his mental illness. Yes. Right? Okay, but Gary's life had strained out after he began to take a psychiatric medication consistently, and he held down a job at a stepfather's gardening business. But not only that, but he had disability pay from the army. And at the time of his disappearance, he hadn't been arrested or gone haywire in over two years. Which is a long time. He became friends with the other four men only a few months before they had all disappeared. Yeah, so he was definitely like the newbie to the group, which... I think is one thing that raises even more suspicion around him. The four men's relatives do believe that it's possible that Matthews was somehow involved in the incident that led to their deaths. At what level, we don't really know. And and I don't think they do either. I think there's just so much speculation and... There's just so many questions. It's just so... It's such a bizarre case. It really is. It's hard to really guess what happened when... You, there's nothing. When it doesn't really make sense. Yeah. Yeah. His family has stated that he always kept in touch with them, and without his medication, he would not have been able to stay off the grid, even if he wanted to. So, they think there's no way... He's alive. He's alive. So, because he would have turned up at some point. He would have committed some crime somewhere. Or even just turned up i mean this was all over the place people all knew, over the yeah place. so i mean i feel like there wasn't social media back then though i mean it would have been easier to hide off the grid than it is now true gary is still labeled as a missing person but authorities believe that he's dead yeah i i i, I mean i'm kind of on that same track i just don't know what motivation he would have to disappear at this point i just i don't know what the motivation of this whole thing is. I don't know what the motivation of anything is. Yeah, I mean, it's strange. There's other cases that you can look at. We're, we're actually working on research for one down the line, which is going to be probably a little bit of a longer episode. But it's basically like group hysteria. I mean, something happens that makes a group of people, rational or not, 
do really strange things. I mean, it does happen. It does. And I'm sad that after all this time, there's not answers to this. Like, after all this time, we still don't know what happened to these these five boys. I mean, I don't like it. So that is the story of the Yuba Five or the Gateway Gators, whatever we want to call them. One of our favorite podcasts, Red Handed, they actually did do, uh, I think they did an episode on this a while back. I think so too. Yeah. Um, And then Dark Histories podcast has also done an episode on this one. They had a lot of really good information in their episode as well. So if you want different information, want to know more about what this is. What the heck happened. Two great sources to check out. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in and thanks for listening. Yeah. Yeah. Hope you can sleep well. Hope you sleep well tonight. Follow us on Instagram at Lost in the Woods Podcast and visit our Facebook. We'll post pictures along with this episode. We'd love to hear what you guys think. We'd love your suggestions. We've gotten a couple good ones that have come in. Oh, also guys, we are on iTunes Podcast and that's actually a place that you can leave a review. So if you have an iPhone or have the ability to go to uh, iTunes podcast, leave us a review. We'd love to hear what you guys have to say. Yeah. Yeah.